The prophet Isaiah said the babe would be called Emmanuel. Joseph called the child Jesus. Is this a discrepancy or is there something deeper? Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast from the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas, with our pastor and Bible teacher, Bishop Gregory Riggin. Pastor, when you mentioned Emmanuel and how that is meaning God with us, I've heard you make a connection between that particular term with Bethlehem, Calvary, and Pentecost. Do you mind making that correlation for the audience? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's something that I love to do. And let me just give you a little backstory here with this as well. In the year of 2013, I had the opportunity to go to Israel for the very first time. Now, I think both of you men know, our audience probably doesn't know, it's not that I had a lot of money. I actually sold a car so that I could raise the funds to go. I, I had been given an opportunity. There was a travel agency that specializes in trips to the Holy Land that was making a special deal available to pastors and their wives that if they wanted to go, they could go very inexpensively. And when I say inexpensively, I mean inexpensively. Their deal was my wife and I both could go uh, even when we bought plane tickets it was $1,800 per person, and that included our plane tickets. Now, I had the privilege of going back again just a couple of years ago. It was that much per person when I went the next time, not because the prices had gone up, but they, this travel company just gave this special deal strictly to pastors because they felt like, and still do, they still make this offer, they feel like if a pastor will go over there and experience it for himself, he'll come back and get his church signed up and take the whole bunch and they'll all pay full price. So they look at this like an investment. All right. Did you have a question? Yeah. I'd like to insert that it worked because pastor came back and tried to get as many people from our church to, to go as well. So it does work. If you ever go to Israel, you want to share it with everyone you can. It's an experience of a lifetime. It really is. So back to my trip in 2013, we were able to go. I went with a pastor friend of mine, Brother Daniel Stevens, from Mountain View, Arkansas. It was him and his wife and my wife and I. And we were the only apostolics on this trip. This company, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody else, but this company is owned by folks that are very well-established Baptists, all right? And most of their clientele, Baptists. I think there was one other man on the trip that was a charismatic. Other than that, everybody else, and there were about three bus loads on this trip. Everybody else there was Baptist. So it didn't take long for brother and sister Stevens, my wife and I, uh, 
to stand out in the crowd. We looked different. Yep. We acted different. And what they did is we would go to these sites and usually a couple times a day, the tour guide would ask one of these Baptist preachers to speak at a site. And I guess he gave them advance notice because they usually came with notes prepared. And so a couple times a day, they would bring some devotional at some site that had to do with, you know, the devotional had to do with where we were standing. And again, I'm not attacking anyone. I'm just telling you that within a matter of a day or two at most, all the devotionals were aimed at the apostolics in the crowd. It was informing us that if your religion makes you dress a certain way and your religion makes you abstain from certain things, you don't really have a relationship. All you have is a religion and Calvary paid for everything and you don't have to do all these things. And it was everywhere we went. We just, we just got tired of hearing it over and over and over and over. We just smiled and took it. Um, And so we went through this, the whole trip. It was a 10 day trip. On the last night that we were there, we were in the city of Jerusalem and we're sitting at supper and it dawned on me that we've been here. We're only going to see a couple of sites tomorrow and then we fly out. We have not been to the upper room. And I'm thinking, how do you come to Jerusalem and not go to the upper room? And so I went over to the tour guide and asked him, I said, are we going to the upper room? Oh, no, no. He said that, you know, he said, we don't even know for sure that it's the real upper room and no, and there's just no reason to go there. And, and I'm just looking at him. I guess the look on my face, I wasn't hiding it very well, my disappointment. And he said, is that important to you? I said, I'm a Pentecostal. My trip to Israel will not be complete if I don't go to the upper room. He said, well, we're going to have a little bit of free time tomorrow before we leave. He said, I'll see if I can find a taxi for you that can take you over there and you know, you can go see it. And I said, well, okay. So I go to bed very disappointed because I'm thinking, I don't really know if I want to get a taxi in a city. You know, I, I don't know what's going on here. I, and I'd really rather go with the group. I'd rather somebody tell us something, give us some history, give us something. And, and I just prayed a simple prayer about it that night. I said, Lord, I know this is no big deal to you, but I'd really like to see the upper room. I, that would be important to me. If you'd work that out, I'd really appreciate it. Well, the next morning we get up, we go downstairs to have our breakfast and we've had breakfast. We're getting ready to get on the bus and the tour guide stopped me and he said, Hey, uh, we're going to the upper room first thing this morning. Change of plan. I I said, okay. He said, uh, 
Boy, somebody could probably really do some preaching there, huh? I said, I'll guarantee you. <laughs> he said, would you like to bring the devotional? Oh, no. I said, yes, I would. I'd be honored. I've had a whole week of being the target of right. devotionals. Now, I wasn't going to turn the tables and do that to them. But now I didn't have a Bible with me that day. I mean, other than on my phone. But I wasn't carrying a physical Bible as we went on tour. It was up in my room, but we were getting, literally getting on the bus when he asked me. So we get on the bus and I'm trying to think, all right, what am I going to say? Well, there is a requirement in Israel that you have to have a licensed tour guide with you from Israel. He has to be trained, certified. So the guy I've been dealing with is the American that's part of the company we went. But, but there was with us every day an Israeli. And every day while we're on the bus, he would read scriptures about where we're going. And once we got off, he left it up to them, let them do their devotionals or whatever. But he gave us the history, not just history, but biblical history behind every site we went to. Very, very knowledgeable man. In fact, I'll tell you, he knew the New Testament better than many Pentecostals, many apostolics that I've known. And he didn't believe the New Testament, but he knew it. So that day we get on the bus and we're headed to the upper room. And he starts reading scripture and he's reading from the Old Testament prophets. And he reads where they said, I am going to give you a new covenant and I'm going to write my law in your hearts. And then he goes over to the New Testament and, and he has people on the bus reading these verses for him and he gets someone to read about what we call the last supper. This took place in the upper room and it's there. Jesus says, this is the blood of the new Testament. It's the same word as covenant. And he's pointing out that this was prophesied in the old Testament, that God was going to bring a new covenant to his people. And Jesus is sitting at supper saying, this is the new covenant that I'm going to give. My blood is shed. My body's going to be broken to bring about this new covenant. The Greek word there, the, the, the English word that's used is testament, but it's, it's the same thing. So then he looks at me and he said, I want you to go to, over to Acts chapter 2 and start reading Acts 2, 1. Now, I don't think he knew that I was going to be doing the devotional that day. But here he is setting the stage for me. And he has me start reading in Acts 2 and the coming of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. And he starts elaborating on the fact that that's the giving of the new covenant. The new covenant was we're not looking at the tables of stone. It's written on the tables of your heart. And the coming of this Holy Spirit was to write God's law on the tables of man's heart. So he's, he has just done a phenomenal job of setting the stage. So we get 
off the bus. We go into the upper room. And nobody there knows there's going to be a devotional. It's not, of course, the upper room wasn't even on our schedule. So they're all just looking and they're talking and they're whatever. And, and the American tour guide kind of bumps me and said, okay, go ahead. Well, nobody even knows I'm going to be doing this. So I've got to try to get their attention. And, and I don't know if he wanted me to look like I was just trying to take, I don't know. But anyhow, whatever it was that was going on, I finally got everyone's attention. And I said, you know, I want to talk to you about where we are right now. I said, we need to understand, and this is the answer to your question. It took me a long time to get there, but I'm finally there. Mm-hmm. I said, we need to understand that the story of salvation is not just a single location and a single act. It is a trilogy. There are three things that make up what brought salvation to mankind. And we have visited some of these sites. These things each took place in a specific location. I said just the other day or yesterday, whenever it was, we visited Bethlehem. You know, the angel said that the baby that was born there was Emmanuel. That's God with us. So that's the first thing that had to happen. In order for us to have salvation, God had to come and dwell with us. Right. That's what happened at Bethlehem. This is the first chapter of this trilogy. God with us is born in Bethlehem. And I said, in just a little while, we're headed to Calvary. Calvary is the second chapter of this trilogy. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the trilogy begins with God with us. And the next chapter is God for us. He gave his life so that we could be saved. He was with us when he came to Bethlehem. He died for us at Calvary. But I said the trilogy's not complete until we get to the upper room. And this is where the capstone comes of this unfolding story of redemption. We've had God with us and God for us. But here's what Jesus said in John 14, 17. He said, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, but shall be in you. It's not enough that God came to be with us. It's not enough that Christ died for us. Salvation's not complete until the spirit is dwelling in us. And so it was at that point then I said, you know, it was somewhere around here that Peter stood before a hungry crowd. And they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? He didn't point them to Bethlehem. He mentioned Christ being crucified. But the answer to their question, what shall we do? 
was repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's not finished until God is in you. Well, I'm going to tell you, there were a bunch of Baptists in tears that day. And I had some of those preachers even come to me and say, you have explained this in a way I've never seen it before. So the Lord helped us. But that's the answer to your question. There really is an unfolding story, and God with us is just the beginning. That's, that's the beauty of this time of year. I said this the other night to our church folks, but to the rest of our listening audience, we really need to appreciate what we're celebrating this time of year. And I know there are those who want to point out pagan roots and they want to do all that. And that's between them and God. I will say this. Paul made it very clear. We're not to judge our brother with regard to holidays. So whatever you feel there, keep that between you and God. But what we're supposed to be celebrating at this time of year, really, we need to understand the significance of it. Because without Bethlehem, without God with us, without him taking on that flesh, there was no hope of redemption for mankind. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. But the plan of God required the shedding of blood. A spirit doesn't have blood. As a spirit, God could not redeem us and follow his own plan. Now, God obviously could make the plan however he wanted it. He could have done it any way he chose. But God instituted a plan whereby it required something he did not possess in the beginning. He didn't have blood to shed, and yet he puts this plan in place. The only way you're going to be saved is the shedding of blood. And we know that the blood of bulls and goats didn't make us complete. That's why they had to keep doing it every year. It was only going to be by what Peter called the precious blood of Christ. The only way we could be redeemed was for God to come and dwell with us. God to take on this fleshly body and be born as a man not with some kind of divine flesh, but with human flesh. And and I'm getting into a lot of topics, but I'm just going to throw this out as well, that there are those out there who want to say that what Jesus had was divine flesh. If his flesh was not like our flesh, then he was not our kinsman redeemer. And again, part of the Old Testament law, redemption could only come through a kinsman. And he was not our kinsman If he didn't have the same flesh we have, he had human flesh. God, who has always been an omnipresent, omnipotent spirit, didn't cease to be what he was. But now he's become something he's never been. He became one of us. He became like us to make us more like him. God with us was the beginning of it all. And that's what we're celebrating in this season. And I'm telling you, 
I mean, with each step of this, obviously it had to happen. We couldn't have been redeemed had he not shed that blood at Calvary. God for us. That had to happen. But even then, him being born as a human, him shedding his blood, those things in and of themselves don't provide salvation. If they did, then everybody's already saved. So there's got to be a third part to this. And that's where we bring Acts 2.38 in. And that's where we step into this picture and we accept this plan and obey this plan. This God who came to be with us, Christ. And, and I thought about this too. Let me just throw this in. And I've never thought about it until looking at these scriptures now in front of me. I want you to think about this. When we talk about Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Think about the way these verses are actually worded. Now, I've said God with us, God for us, God in us. But let's think about the way these verses are actually worded. Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Anytime the New Testament makes reference to God, it's speaking of the Father. In fact, the Apostle Paul said we have one God, the right. Father. right. It's very clear. That is our God. The Father is our God. So think about this now. Matthew 123, God with us. That's a reference to the Father. The Father was with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The Father was with us. God with us. Then Romans 5 and 8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is a reference to the Son to the humanity. So there we've got the Father with us, the Son for us, and then John 14, 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Who's going to be in you? The Spirit. God with us, Christ for us, the spirit in us. And that's not three separate persons, right? It's very clear that this is all describing the same one true God, but his name. Ephesians tells us that the whole family in heaven and earth is named by that name. Paul said this, he said, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. If there are three separate persons, somebody explain to me why the son has a higher name than the father. Somebody tell me why the second person's name is higher than the name of the first person. If there are three persons in the Godhead, there aren't. Right. God gave him, God named this fleshly body by the name that's above every name. God's highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead oh is all in him. And there is no better time to celebrate the oneness than when we're celebrating God with us. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. 
We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and our website, olathetruth.com slash live. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.